0: You're listening to the Mormon Theories Podcast, and I'm your host, Ryan Hinckley. As you know, Christmas is just a few days away, uh, depending on when you're listening to this. Um, And I couldn't think of anything better to talk about on the week of Christmas than peace, and also the wise men. (laughs) So that's what we're going to talk about today. Well, my guest today is Patrick McKay Sr., and he has a beautiful message about bringing all of the branches of the restoration back together. In fact, he even wrote a book about it called Healing the Breach. Now, I have, I have now read this book, and I have to say that I think everyone else should read it too. Anyone who is part of any branch of Mormonism needs to read this book. Um, each church, branch, or group in the restoration experiences its own miracles and its own manifestations of the Spirit, And this book shares some of those. And it's incredible. Guys, people being healed completely from their burns, from their broken backs and legs, their eyes regrew. I know that sounds weird, but you just have to read the book. Um, God is showering all of us with blessings, no matter which church we're in. And we need to start talking to people that are in these other churches, these other restoration churches. We're all in this together, guys. And hopefully someday, despite our differences, we'll be back in Zion together too. And then Patrick tells us his theory that the wise men in the Christmas story were actually Nephi, Lehi, and Samuel the Lamanite. Man, I love this theory. It makes so much sense. And it's the perfect thing to get us ready for Christmas. Okay, before we start the interview, I, I need to admit that I only pay for the cheapest internet service available to me in my area. So my speeds are a little slow. And unfortunately, during the interview um, when Patrick was talking, he cut out a few times and it was kind of hard to understand what he was saying. But hopefully you can look past that because for most of the time um, we can hear what Patrick is saying and it's awesome. I think think he's an inspired man and I think that we should weigh his words carefully. And uh, I think that he has a message that everyone should listen to for sure. As you listen, please know that the views of my guests on the podcast do not necessarily reflect my own beliefs or the official doctrine of any denomination, including the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And with that, enjoy the show and have an amazing Merry Christmas with your family. Thanks for listening. Welcome to the podcast, Patrick. Thank you, Ryan. Glad to be here with you. Yeah, I'm so excited to talk to you. Um, so, I would love for you to introduce yourself and kind of tell us a little bit about, um, about you and about your experience in the Restoration. Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I was
1: probably a slow learner. I was baptized at 11, almost 12. Uh, I grew up in Sunnyvale, California, and was a part of what was called the San Francisco Bay State take. The reorganized church, like the Mormon church, has the same structure a first presidency, apostles, uh, 70 high priests, um, state presidents, district presidents, etc. So uh, an organization that you're familiar with, we we share most of those same um, positions and, and policies in the church, uh, filled by different people, of course, but that same idea. So I grew up with uh, that heritage, Um, I had a few friends in high school that were members of the Mormon church and we had a good association, but, you know, we always were bantering about, well, I'm in the true church and you're not. And so uh, we remained friends and, but we never really dealt with that um, situation. And quite frankly, I wasn't equipped to deal with it at that point in my life. You know, I, I was raised in the one true church, just like my Mormon friends were raised in the one true church, you know. I often think they're really nice people. I don't know why they belong to the Church of the Devil. They're obviously not in the one true church. And so uh, a lot of misgivings looking back over that. But anyway, uh, I was baptized, like I said, at 11, uh, attended church regularly, After I graduated from high school, I decided to go to my church college, which is in Lamoni, Iowa. That name, Lamoni, comes from King Lamoni in the Book of Mormon. the little community, Lamoni, Iowa, was created by the RLDS church in the 1880s. And the church moved its headquarters from Amboy, Illinois, to Lamoni, Iowa. And then in about 1906, they moved the church back to Independence. Course, you know the saints had been driven out and it was a slow process re-gathering saints back and and so uh, in fact i can tell you ryan just how it is when you grow up and you live far away from the headquarters of the church and and uh, i watched the yankees and the uh st louis cardinals play a world series in 1964 and they were in missouri you know i was rooting for the yankees but i knew the cardinals were in missouri and i just assumed at that young age that everybody in the stands were members of the rlds church because the headquarters of the church were in missouri <laughs> so and so anyway there's there's been a, a little bit of an awakening in me as i've grown up and as i've uh, got involved in different things um been married for 42 years have two boys and four grandchildren and one on the way and all my kids live close to me so that's a real blessing and um in 1984, there were changes that were happening in the RLDS church, um, and they ordained women to the priesthood. Prior to that, though, in 1982, I was silenced. That means I was defrocked, no longer recognized as an ordained minister in the church, simply because my name appeared in a newspaper advertisement that I was going to speak it was Was called a Restoration Festival, meeting times with the church just to remind our people of our distinctives. Um, In fact, we had 3,000 saints gather at uh, the college in Lamoni, Iowa, and that prompted the leadership of the then-reorganized church to begin taking action with those who met separate like that. So I've been disassociated with the RLDS Church, now the Community of Christ, since 1982, although I have many friends and associates in the community of Christ. I I don't worship there. In 1984, we met for two years and decided that we could form a restoration branch. And we we looked at our history as it emerged after the death of Joseph, when a coalition of saints met in Wisconsin and reorganized the church in 1853 under the leadership of Jason Briggs and Zinus Gurley. And so we believe that restoration branches were a way to keep the saints viable to perform the ordinances. But we didn't have the mechanism to fully reorder the church. We simply met and worshiped. And a couple of years later, other groups started to form branches. And today there's a proliferation of restoration branches scattered throughout the world. And so we're a part
0: of that movement. Okay, awesome. Um, so, kind of cut out at the beginning but you were so i kind of got the um the context you were a member of the rlds or the reorganized church of jesus christ of latter-day saints and then in the 80s um, kind of kind of left that or broke off and well
1: let me clarify that because that's always been a sticking point with rlds people and the, the lds people uh, we don't feel that we were a break off we just feel we remained faithful to the original teachings gotcha and we were we were disfellowshipped but okay. we didn't leave the church we're still members of the church gotcha we consider ourselves faithful
0: members right yes yeah. sorry about that um, that's okay i understand that yeah um so just I, I don't know it's always a good question even people in my church so as you know i'm a member of the church of jesus christ of latter day saints and Um my ancestors followed Brigham Young to Utah and we've been here ever since. Um and it's just it's always interesting for me to learn more about the other the other branches in in the church in the restoration. Um, because we don't learn about about others very much. And like you were saying before we started, um we all grow up in the in the one true church and and we don't think too much about the other branches. And i it it's sad, and recently i've been I've been more cognizant and i've my eyes have been I've kind of been opened and I've noticed that there are so many others and they have valid um, they have valid stories, they have valid experiences and God loves everyone and and so when I stumbled upon some of your work i was I was amazed I was like, oh, this is exactly what i've been what I've been thinking about because for the last couple of years I've, I've just been thinking that there's so many people that believe in the book of mormon and um and i feel like i believe that if if christ were to come today that every single person that believes in the book of mormon would go find him and we'd all be together and some of the work that that i've seen you put out talks about this and specifically you write you wrote you wrote a book called healing the breach um And I'd love for you to kind of talk about that and kind of explain your vision of what it would mean for all of these restoration branches to come back together. Okay, well, you know, that's a great point, Ryan.
1: Um, You know, if you look at people in the restoration, we have some distinct differences among the different uh, organizations that formed following the death of Joseph. But when you compare us to the Protestant or Catholic world, We're not catholic and we're not protestant we're restorationists i like to compare us to stalks of broccoli two stalks of broccoli can look very much alike they're they're self-similar they may not be identical but they're very similar and you know we don't look like cauliflower (laughs) we look like broccoli whether we're members of the lds church or the church of christ on the temple lot or the church of jesus christ bickertonite or the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints reorganized Uh, we share some unique things together that really um, should well us back together. And we often speak about, and we've spent a long time in the wilderness, proving that we're the one true church. And I've come to realize after thinking about this and deciding to meet people in different parts of the restoration, I had an epiphany. You know, when Jesus went to visit the woman at the well, she was in Samaria. And, of course, the Samarians were placed there after the children of Israel were taken into captivity. And the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans, and the Samaritans had no dealings with the Jews. But what's curious is Jesus talked to his disciples, and he talked to the woman at the well. And I think it's really interesting, as I've spent time with the different groups in the Restoration, God has been speaking to each of these groups. The problem is we have not been speaking to each other. And so we don't know um, if we lay hands on the sick and they're healed, or we have a dream that we've been called to the ministry or an angel had appeared, or we saw a miracle performed. That cements in our mind that we're the true church, that we're where God planted us. What we don't know is that other parts of the restoration have parallel experiences. That also confirmed to them that they're the church. And so, you know, early on, before the church was fully organized, uh, an early revelation came. It's section three in the RLDS Doctrine and Covenants. He defined his church. He said, Whosoever repenteth and cometh unto me, the same is my church. Who teaches more or less in me is of this, is not of me, but is of the devil. And so, when we try to define the idea, you know, Nephi says, And this is the most misquoted scripture in the Book of Mormon. There are many people I've talked with that said, you know, the day will come when there's only going to be two churches, the church of the Lamb of God and the church of the devil. But that's not what the scripture says. It says there are, saved two churches only. That means they exist right now. So I really believe that all of the restoration, in, in spite of some of the differences and some are significant, I believe that we're all in the basket. We've all named the name of Jesus. We've all entered the waters of regeneration. We all can trace our priesthood in an unbroken chain back to the angel. I like to think too that uh, seeds were harvested, planted in Joseph's day. After his death, those seeds were harvested. It was a good seed according to Alma. It sprang forth and we knew it was a good seed. And the husbandmen really then planted those seeds in different vineyards. Very much like the parable of Zenus in the Book of Mormon. You remember there was the choice spot of land. There was a good spot, a poor spot, and even a poor spot. And yet they all bore fruit. I see the restoration very much that way because Nephi says we can liken all Scripture unto us. Well, if Nephi can make that statement, so can we because we're also followers of Christ and believers in this gospel. So what he's going to do with the whole house of Israel, he's also going to do with the restoration. He's going to gather us. And you had made mention in your opening comments that if Jesus appeared, you believed we would all follow him. I agree with that. And I believe whatever differences we had, if we walked through that door with Christ, none of our differences would exist anymore. And so that's the, to me, that's the destiny of the saints of the restoration. If you look down a two-lane highway far enough, you know what you see, Ryan? One lane. One lane. And I believe that's the destiny of the Lord's people. And so these various churches, I like to compare them to and lives in the placenta. The placenta nourishes that child, keeps it alive, makes sure it has oxygen for nine months. But when the baby is born, the placenta is discarded. I see the various organizations of the restoration in a metaphorical sense, representing the placenta. But when God decides to uh, empower his church, and what I mean is when he stands in our midst, I believe it's going to be not an organization, but a living organism, a living, breathing witness of Jesus Christ. Now, there's going to be structure, of course, there's going to be officers, but we've stressed the organization over the organism. And that's where the saints, I believe, have all fallen short. All of the Church of the Restoration, which there's a myriad of saints, and they're all wonderful, and they're all believers. But we've decided that because you don't look just like I do, your stock of broccoli isn't exactly like mine. You must not be right. You know, the people outside the Restoration, if, if I tell someone I believe in the Book of Mormon, From my side of the aisle, the RLDS people have often recoiled at that and said, oh, well, I believe, look, but I'm certainly not a Mormon. And I believe that's a mistake. I believe that we shouldn't define ourselves by who we're not. Instead, we should define ourselves by who we are. So when people say, oh, you're a Mormon, I say, well, yes, I believe in the Book of Mormon. That's where I met Christ. He changed my life. Let me share him with you. Let me testify this book to you.
0: That to me is a better approach than saying, but I'm not a Mormon. Right. Yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. Um, And you just touched on this, but I often think about how the book of Mormon brings us to Christ. And that's, I mean, that's kind of the purpose of it. And it's just, it's a beautiful thought that Christ is the one that will bring us all together in the end. And we shouldn't lose sight of that, despite some of the differences that we have.
1: You know, One of Joseph's revelations, I think it's section 103 in your Doctrine and section 100 in ours, Mm -hmm. and he promises to raise up a man like Moses to lead the saints out of bondage. He says, with a stretched out arm, as your fathers were led at the first, even so shall the redemption of Zion be. And then he goes on to say, and I also will be in your midst, and angels will go before you. Well, that indicates to me that we're all in bondage. Now that doesn't mean God hasn't blessed us, or hasn't healed our sick, or given us a confirming testimony and enriched our lives. But where is Zion today, Ryan? I know I was in Utah and I saw the Zion Bank and, <laughs> yeah. and all. But and and you know there are many things that that I see in Utah that that I champion. I find some remarkable things, a, a collection of saints. Uh, I was in a neighborhood. It was. Uh, four streets this way and four streets this way. There was about, oh, I don't know, about 800 people that lived in this little sector. And there was a church or a ward house. Mm-hmm. And everybody in that neighborhood went to the same building. And they would there would be, I guess, three different services that they would meet at, at staggered times. And I said to my friend, I said, boy, it's hard to argue with your neighbors if you have to go to church with them. <laughs> and he said, yeah. So And just... 200 yards away, I saw another church and I asked about it. And I said, well, we, we don't go to that one. We go to the one that's assigned to our neighborhood. But so there's a lot of things in Utah that that I have holy envy for. I see some remarkable things that the LDS people do. And I think that that's a good witness for uh, some of the things you folks have accomplished. I champion that. I praise
0: you for that. Thank you. Thanks. Um, yeah. And did you say you lived in, in Missouri? Okay, awesome. So you live in the, in the spot. Well, we live in the
1: spot that was pointed out by the very finger of God as mm-hmm. the center place, and Missouri is the place for the gathering of the saints until it's full, and then He has other places He would extend the the stakes of the tent. Joseph even prophesied the day would come when all of the United States would be Zion,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and. So when you think of the millions and perhaps billions of people that will embrace the gospel,
0: um, that makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah, for sure. It really does. And I could be wrong, um, but isn't that why, at least in the the LDS church, in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, that they have stakes because it's that imagery of like Zion's in the center place, but then we have, like stakes and other other parts that are kind of strengthening like an tent, is that? Is that right? that's that's the concept.
1: okay. And you know the LDS church, you know, when the church fractured, we went in different. You guys went west and mm-hmm. some went to Pennsylvania, some to Texas, some stayed we were called the prairie saints because we stayed in the Midwest. And the idea is is in our fractured condition, we've taken many of the truths that were codified in Joseph's day. And we've tried to employ them wherever we are. But ultimately, God wants to gather his people. Um, And so I believe that the imagery that you speak of, that that we've experimented with, and and the RLDS church has done that too. We've had stakes in different locations of the world. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, what he intended was, according to Nephi, was to gather his people. And then as Zion would enlarge, those stakes would be strengthened or would extend out. And so whatever is done in the center place would then be replicated and uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ would be implemented, teaching, our schooling, uh, our lives being focused around the gospel. That was the idea that one day we would be independent of every creature beneath the celestial kingdom and actually manifest the kingdom of God on earth. And ultimately that's
0: our destiny cool um so just earlier you said that in section 103 for my doctrine and covenants and 100 for you it prophesies of a like of a moses figure that will help to lead the children of israel back to zion um can you tell me a little bit more about that and what you believe about him and maybe who he'll be if that's
1: okay Sure. I don't know who that individual is. Um, You know, Christ identifies himself as the man like Moses in Deuteronomy. uh, He mentions it in Acts, the third chapter, he mentions it. It was quoted to Joseph by the angel uh, four times and three times in one night and once the next morning. We also know that the president of the high priesthood has been likened unto Moses and some of the groups of restoration have that office in the church. Some used to have it. Um, Some still do, but I don't know who the individual is, but he indicates that this individual will be like Moses. Moses led the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage into the promised land, and so in the latter days, God is going to use that imagery. He's going to raise up an individual, I know in the second book of Nephi, the second chapter, there are different interpretations. The third chapter in your book, mm-hmm. we have in the reorganization have been interpreted the choice seer as Joseph Smith, Jr. But there's also the mention of a descendant of little Joseph, Lehi's youngest son, who would do much good both in word and deed being an instrument of mighty power. And he would use the book, the book the choice seer would bring forth to take the gospel to the remnant of his seed and Manasseh and Ephraim together would then, as the horns of unicorns, would push the other tribes to the ends of the earth, to the Americas, to gather them into the holy city. So I, I do believe that there are, um, there's gonna be divine help in the future. And I'm not prepared to identify who that individual is. Christ could be that individual. And uh, it could be a prophet he raises up, but I do believe there will be a, a Lamanite, uh, a, a descendant of young Joseph, who will do much good both in word and deed, be an instrument of power in his hands. And, you know, of all of the efforts of all the churches of the Restoration, none have had very much success with the American Indian, mm-hmm. even though we've all attempted to take the gospel there. And there are testimonies and evidences that we've done that. But across the board, it's not been a successful effort to this point, and I believe that probably waits on that individual prophesied
0: of in the Book of Mormon. Just an opinion. Yeah, yeah, and I've heard of I've heard of that um, that interpretation of the Lamanite, of the descendant of Little Joseph, the son of Lehi. Um, mm-hmm. It's very interesting. It's definitely not something that they teach over the pulpit in my church, but it's uh, it makes you think where i live in utah there are there's a large population of native americans and it's real they're good people they're great people and i love to talk to them um well cool i so i'm reading your book like i've told you and it is such a good book i i wish i was done with it but i'm not because i feel like i need to read it really slowly because it's so packed with with just an awesome message and um you you go through a bunch of metaphors for, for how, um, how the restoration people can apply to different things. Like you talk about us being fractal, like broccoli, you mentioned broccoli, or you talk about this weird creature that's made out of little, um, little, little creatures. I forget what it's called, a zooid, a zooid, a zooid or something like that. Um, there's zoids and, and yeah, yeah. Sorry. Um, and I thought that was really interesting because this little creature. Oh, but sorry. A, uh,
1: a creature that. Um...
0: Sorry, you cut out for a second, on my end. Um, so, in your book, just to go, what I was what what I was trying to talk uh the point I was trying to get to um you talk about these metaphors and then you have a lot of stories from different branches in the restoration of miracles that have happened and I've been blown away by these miracles um so is there any way that you could give us a couple of those miracles and kind of give a little preview of what you talk about in your book sure
1: like you mentioned there were 23 metaphors and each metaphor is is written to try to illustrate the idea that that we're more alike than we're dissimilar and one of the metaphors i mentioned is a redwood tree you know i grew up in california and up in humboldt those redwood trees are 2500 years old and they stand 300 feet high And they're pretty remarkable. There's a lot of wind that blows up there, and you wonder how do those trees stay erect? And you assume that their root systems are are huge. They go several hundred feet underground, perhaps, but they're only six to eight feet deep. And so you ask, well, how can they stand erect? And the answer is because their roots are intertwined with other trees. That's how we stand erect against the opposition we find against the restored gospel, is that. Instead of being independent, we need to be interdependent. We need to find ways in which we can labor together. Mm-hmm. Also interesting on those, uh, redwood trees, their bark is three inches thick. And that's good too, because we're a little too thin skinned in the restoration. As soon as someone has a view different than mine, we want to cut them off or we want to move on. We don't want to consider the dialogue as going forward. So that's an example uh, I, you know, talk about LASIK vision in the book. And you know, sometimes we uh, we have to blur some things in order to allow us to see, we might not be able to see quite as far, but we can see more clearly with LASIK vision. And I think the saints need LASIK vision. And uh, so all through the book, there's just metaphor after metaphor talking about whether it's fractals, whether it's broccoli. Um, I try to use those to illustrate each of these points to show that we have so much more in common than we have that separates us. And I think nature reveals the the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everything was created to bear witness of him. And so as we look at these things in nature, we can see the same elements applied to us as as saints in the kingdom of God. So that's really the purpose of the book. It's, It's really to ask the saints not to leave any church that they're a part of, there is, this isn't a book that's designed to say, well, one part of the restoration is superior to the other parts, and, and everybody believes their part is better. But the book doesn't address that. The book tries to illustrate the fact that we're really the same people. We were simply separated at birth or separated at the death of Joseph. And what's so curious to me, uh, a cherry tree, I mentioned a cherry tree in the book. Uh, if you like being cherries, You realize a Bing cherry tree to cross-pollinate, it uses a different variety of the same fruit to cross-pollinate. And so in the restoration, we really need to be cross-pollinating if we want to bring forth the best fruit. And so there's just illustration after illustration like that throughout the book, um, trying to get people to consider the imagery and how we can weave that into the dialogue one with another and try to find ways in which we can unite to the extent that we can and realize that there's some things God will have to do the heavy lifting on. But, Ryan, you probably are married. Are you married? Yes. You probably have some disagreements with your wife from time to time. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know this, but she's probably right more than you are. <laughs> At least that's what happens in my home. But, you know, if all we talk about is our differences, it's going to affect our marriage in a negative way. Mm-hmm. And the same is true in the Restoration. Because we've only dialogued on our differences, what's wrong with this part of the Restoration, we've not been able to find an ability to move forward as a people. And that's really the idea of the book, to give us a new perspective, not asking anyone to leave their church. And what's so curious, the Mormon Church, for instance, is such a powerful organization. Christ Bickertonite. They're a very small church, but they're a gifted church. They typically have prophecy and dreams and visions and tongues right in the midst of their services. Well, that's pretty remarkable. You go to the reorganized church and we're not as structured as the LDS church, but we're more structured than the church of Jesus Christ. And yet all of these different churches have something to contribute to the other branches of the restoration. And I believe that our fruit is going to be better when we cross-pollinate. You, you know, in the parable of Zenos, had he not grafted these branches in, the tree would have died. Well, I believe the restoration won't feel, fulfill its destiny until the Lord weaves us back together. And so that's the idea of the book. And, um, you know, it's it's just my perspective. But, you know, when you realize that, gee, here's a Mormon here's a Bickertonite, here's a Hedrickite. here's a Josephite, and their stories parallel each other to such a degree that you think that, wow, that's remarkable. I didn't know those people existed. I didn't know God was speaking to them,
0: but he has been. Yeah, and it's such a beautiful message. Um, Recently, I was I was reading the Book of Mormon with my wife, and there was a scripture that I'd like to read because it reminded me of your book and of your message. Um, it's in, my, in my scriptures, it's 1 Nephi 13, 37, and it says, And blessed are they who shall seek to bring forth my Zion at that day, for they shall have the gift and the power of the Holy Ghost. And if they endure unto the end, they shall be lifted up at the last day and shall be saved in the everlasting kingdom of the Lamb. And whoso shall publish peace, yea, tidings of great joy, how beautiful upon the mountains shall they be? Um, I thought about your book, I thought as I'm reading it, I'm like, I think Patrick must have written this by the spirit. It's so beautiful. there's so much ama- there's so many amazing stories, and there's the, the language is awesome, and like I said, that's why it's taking me a long time to read it because I want to soak that in, you know, um, and I think I really think that you're a perfect example of someone who's trying to bring forth Zion. And I really appreciate that. And I, I thank you for that.
1: You're welcome. You know, that that's a remarkable scripture. Um, I believe that all the churches of restoration believe they have the gift of the Holy ghost. They were baptized and hands were laid on them and they believe that we have an intercessory priesthood. We speak in the name of the Lord. We confer the gift of the Holy ghost through, um, the name of Christ, but do we have the power of the Holy Ghost, Ryan? And that's the real question. Do we want power in our services? Our services should be uh, blessed with the gifts of the Spirit. Our testimony should be confirmed by that as we, we go forth and witness. You know, in the early church, they didn't go through uh, Isaiah 29 or Psalms 85 11 or Ezekiel 37. Uh, or John 10, 16, all scriptures that you as a missionary probably used when you were telling the story, and I've used all those scriptures, but the first missionary of the church was um, uh, Samuel Smith, Joseph's younger brother, and he believed the best thing he could do was take that book and put it in the hands of people and ask them to ask God if it was true, and if the book was true, then they would have an evidence that Joseph was a prophet, And if Joseph was a prophet, then God was again speaking, and then it bore witness that this movement was of divine origin. And there are so many experiences uh, about the sharing of the Book of Mormon. People would touch the book and they would be shocked. Um, They would see it on a window ledge and be attracted to it. There were people who prayed for witness of it before they ever saw it. And when it came, the witness came. And so the early days of the church, the most effective missionary tool the church possessed was the Book of Mormon, and I think what we've done, and and even the LDS church, bless their hearts, in 1985, Ezra Taft Benson did a remarkable thing. He said, as a church, we're under condemnation because we've not used this book like we should, and he began promoting it, and that's when you produced your missionary edition called uh, the Book of Mormon, uh, Another Testament of Jesus Christ, I think is how it's written. I like that, but I actually believe the Book of Mormon shouldn't be used as a witness. I believe it should be used as the primary witness. We believe in the Bible and we believe in the Book of Mormon, and that's the genesis of where that went. But too often we use the book as a secondary witness, and I believe it is the primary witness. And in fact, he said, it's the covenant sent forth to recover his people, which are of the house of Israel, one of Joseph's revelations. And it's interesting, when Ezra Taft Benson did that, they wanted to emphasize it. And so your colleges like BYU, for instance, they began the path or science or history or literature, religion. They found ways to weave the witness of the book into those academic disciplines, and and that has really taken hold. And that is what is one of the most remarkable things that your church has accomplished, because these young people are being rooted and fastened to uh, this testimony in every area of their life. And so I really commend the, the Mormon church for taking that bold
0: step, something we all should learn. Thank you. Yeah. I, I obviously believe in the Book of Mormon and I love it. I love reading it every day and it's, it's changed my life. Um, so yeah, I would, anyone who's listening, I'd encourage them to check out, uh, Patrick's book, Healing the Breach. Um, it's really good so far for me. And I think that, I think it should be required reading for anyone in my church, at least too. uh, learn a little bit more about the other branches and just how amazing um the spirit has manifested in their lives as well so that is awesome um patrick if you don't mind i'd love to to ask you a little bit about uh the wise men we are coming in we, we are coming close to christmas and um you you have a message about the Book of Mormon and the wise men that I think is important. And I want to know your ideas and your thoughts about maybe who these wise men were and how it can help to bring us together or at least help to spread the Book of Mormon message.
1: Sure. You know, this is a great time of year for Latter-day Saints to talk about the Book of Mormon. You know, we could ask the question, who were the wise men? Where did they come from? Why did they go to Jerusalem? What about the star they spoke of? And where did they go after uh, they had their encounter? And these are all questions that, that are not really answered in the, the biblical account. You know, most people think if you look at a nativity scene, you see uh, Mary and Joseph and the baby. You see the shepherds. You see the star and you see the wise men all in one location. But historically, that's just not, not accurate. The wise men came almost two years after Jesus was born. The star is first mentioned when they come to Herod, but the star is mentioned in the Book of Mormon. This night shall a sign be given. There shall be a day and a night and a day as if it was one day and a new star should arise such a one as you've never beheld. Well, that star was pretty unique because after the wise men had their encounter with Herod, they saw the star again. And it led them to a house in Jerusalem, and it came and stood over them. Now, our closest star is the sun, it's 93 million miles away. Do you believe that it can come and stand over somebody's house and identify one house from your neighbor's house? I don't believe that any star of the planetary world can do that. But it's interesting that there's an apocryphal writing called The Infancy of Christ. And there's a story in there of a, of a prophecy given by Zoroaster. Zoroaster means fireborn. That's the name of a disciple that was converted by Jeremiah when he visited some of the the saints in Scythia and he became a disciple. He taught him uh, about the God of Israel and he delivered a prophecy. And he talked about the star that would lead the wise men and that it was an angel. It was a star angel, and that really parallels the story that it came and stood over uh, where Mary and Joseph were. The other thing that's curious, Ryan, and of course, we don't have time to develop it. Where <clears throat> we have a PowerPoint, and we open the scriptures up, and everybody can see this, but it is cataloged in a little pamphlet I wrote called The Wise Men and the Star Zoroaster Tradition and the Historical Record. But the wise and it says that angels appeared unto, and we know angels appear unto those of a strong faith and a firm mind in every form of godliness. Well, you know, Nephi and Lehi, who were two dynamic ministers in the Book of Mormon, um, disappeared from the pages of the book. It says Nephi gave all the artifacts that he had, the the records, the, the liahona, the the sword of Laban, etc., gave that to his son, and he's never heard of again. It says of Lehi, he was not one whit behind his brother. Nephi could ask for whatever he wanted, and we would be given because God said he would not ask amiss. Mm. And and Samuel the Lamanite was preaching, and you know he was up on the wall, and they were trying to uh, shoot arrows at him, and so forth. But those who believed in his witness sought out Nephi, and they were baptized. And after this event, after the, the star appears, Lehi and Nephi and Samuel never appear again in the record. Isn't that curious? Yeah. And who were the wise men? I believe they, they uh, sailed across the ocean, came through China, uh, went through the land bountiful. Uh, there they picked up gold, frankincense, and myrrh, testifying that Christ was our king uh testifying of his priesthood and testifying of his sacrifice unusual gifts frankincense and myrrh to deliver to an infant child you know the frankincense was part of the um the ointment that was used in the sacrifices in the temple to burn incense and so was myrrh so those were kind of unique gifts for a baby not sure that perhaps they sold them when they had to flee into egypt and so forth we don't know but anyway it's a curious story and the reason Jesus and his mother were in Jerusalem when he was approximately two years old. Luke tells us that every year Joseph went to Jerusalem because of the Passover. So that's why they were there. They weren't in Nazareth when they appeared. Um, They were in Bethlehem. And, you know, just a little side note to this story. um, The inspired version says there was none to give room for Joseph and Mary in the end. The King James says there was no room in the end. The inspired version is more distinct. No one wanted him. And so he's born in a stable, probably a cave. And the angels appear to the shepherds. They're out in the field at night, couldn't be winter time. It was in the spring. They were looking for the Paschal lamb for Passover. And the angel appears and tells them, this day shall the sign be given. Uh, he's born King of the Jews. And this is how you shall find the babe. He's wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. So they make haste and they see the young child and then they go later and testify of him. Well, consider the imagery. Jesus is born in Bethlehem, the house of bread. He's placed in a manger, which is a feeding trough to be partaken of by those who wish to inherit eternal life. And two years later, the wise men, they don't come uh, to the stable. They come to a house and they come to bring their gifts then to the the young child and shortly thereafter uh, they flee into egypt because all the children two and younger are going to be put to death so it's a remarkable story and we don't understand that story really without the book of mormon Um, these wise men were not, not astrologers they were looking for the bright and morning star they were looking for the christ and they came to jerusalem because Alma had prophesied he would be born at Jerusalem, whereas, and critics will say, well, that proves the Book of Mormon's false, because we know he was born in Bethlehem, but at means in the vicinity or location of, I tell people I'm from Kansas City, but I live 13 miles from Kansas City, I live in Independence, but nobody knows who Independence is, so I tell people on the other side of the world, well, I live in the Kansas City area, they know what that is. Uh, you don't tell people you live in in uh, Brooklyn. You tell people you live in New York City, and because right. they've all heard of New York City. And so the Book of Mormon answers all of these questions. I believe the wise men came from America, took almost two years to appear before Herod. The star reappears to them, now leads them to the house, and they offer their gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and then they leave and are never heard of again in the scripture. And, you know, that's true for us, Ryan, once we come to go back from where we've been. So I think the Book of Mormon, and of course, I've written a, a lengthy pamphlet on this, trying to detail some of these things, but just for discussion's sake, uh, that's just a, a tease to get people to kind of look at the record and see, yeah, the Book of Mormon does mention wise men, it does mention angels, it does mention a star. It does mention Jerusalem, and that changes the whole way that we can tell the story to non-members who believe in the Bible like we believe in it,
0: but we can fill in the missing pieces. Yeah, that is so cool, and I love that, like you were just saying, that it's one way that the Book of Mormon can kind of support the Bible, and they kind of intertwines them, if that makes sense. I'm not very sure. good at explaining myself, but... Yeah, that's beautiful. And it explains the it explains Alma prophesying that he'll go to Jerusalem, he'll be born in Jerusalem and it explains a lot of things. And I just think that's amazing. It's awesome. Um, and then you cut out a little bit on my end, but I think you were saying that this story about the wise men, if they did come from the Americas, like if they were Nephi, Lehi, and Samuel the Lamanite, and then they they're never heard of again. Um it should kind of echo our story that when we progress, when we become better, we don't go back to where we came from. Is that what you were saying? Yes, okay. exactly. Yeah, and that's beautiful too. Beautiful. Well, I'll yeah. oh, go ahead. Every
1: one of these stories, there's, there's imagery that bears witness of the truth. Mm-hmm. And Jesus is the truth. He's the, the, the way, the truth, and the life. And so almost every page of the Book of Mormon, for instance, oozes with the testimony of Jesus. Mm -hmm. There's some evidence of him. You know, I live in Independence, and I've lived here for over 40 years, and there's a real presence of other Restoration churches that have headquarters here. And you know, Ryan, no church, not yours, not mine, not the Hedrickites, no one has ever publicly witnessed of the Book of Mormon. So the last two years, I purchased some billboards with uh, Book of Mormon Uh, We had a Book of Mormon uh, day, bring your book to school. We had billboards announcing that. This last summer, we had billboards announcing uh, a Book of Mormon rally. And we had five billboards, huge billboards with Book of Mormon scriptures on them. So people could see. People uh, don't read the Book of Mormon outside the church. They've decided it can't be true. But we forced them to see it as they drove by the major arteries here in our community And for three months, they saw Book of Mormon scriptures clearly delineated for them witnessing of Jesus Christ and and the power of his message. So uh, we held a rally. I don't know if you follow that on some of my Facebook, uh, my YouTube channel, but uh, we had a Catholic priest come and speak at the rally and was curious. He uses the Book of Mormon during Mass. Really? (laughs) We had uh, an evangelical who's a Pentecostal uh, from Florida. And he said, I'm a fan of the Book of Mormon. And he said, I'd like to speak at your rally." And so that was Steve Pinecker. He came and and he shared with us. We had a professor from BYU. He came and, and spoke to us. We had a Baptist minister come and tell the congregation, you know, the Book of Mormon is more Baptist than the Baptist hymnal. <laughs> and then we had restoration people. We had a, a sister from the Church of Jesus Christ bicker tonight. And she told a wonderful story of how Angel Moroni had appeared to her grandparents. And so uh, the rally was designed not to be a church service or not to promote a particular branch of the Restoration, but to magnify the book and those who believe in it and encourage us to start sharing it, witnessing of it, using it, uh, making it the tip of the spear when we testify of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So these are the kind of things that I think The book Healing the Breach can afford the saints, it can cause us to consider working together, Mm -hmm. to use the Book of Mormon jointly to tell the Christmas story, to talk about how if we're not one, we're not the Lord's. Uh, We can join efforts in witnessing of the miracles that have come in our lives because we've embraced the fullness of the gospel. And it's not so much that we have to go out and say, well, I like this guy, but don't listen to him. Follow me and join my church. Um, you know, in the Protestant world, you know that there's um, evangelicals, there's Baptists, there's Presbyterians, there's Assembly of God, there's a variety of churches, but they ascribe two things. You believe in Jesus, and you accept the Bible as the inerrant word. Wonderful. If Latter-day Saints who have embraced the Book of Mormon could be under the same tent, just like the evangelicals or the symbol of god they're not compatible with the baptist faith in every facet but they still consider themselves fellow believers in the restoration we need to consider one another as fellow believers and look forward to that day when when god sends a man like moses into our midst to lead us out of bondage into the kingdom of god where the demonstration and power of the holy spirit attends us in all that we do in our witnessing in our raising of our families and taking the gospel throughout the world and gathering in Israel home for the wedding supper, which Christ will come to his bride will be adorned, um, anointed as it were, with the Holy Spirit and a union will come between Christ and his church. And that union is the kingdom of God that will usher in the millennial reign. So that's really what we need to focus on in the restoration and not so much that my church is better than your church. (laughs) Um, there's aspects of each of these churches that are remarkable. And I think there's shortcomings in all of them. But I believe they're all the Lord's people. And he's He's wanting us to get that message. At least that's my perception. And, you know, there's a, a prophecy in the book. Uh, toward the end of the book, I, I have some prophetic experiences. And one of them is a dream an individual had. He was a member of my branch of the Restoration. And I was sharing a testimony with the group of men and uh, about the various churches, how we witness to them and so forth. And we had a, a minister from the Church of Jesus Christ, Bicker tonight that came to our congregation here in Independence and he preached. And this individual said, well, I came and I heard him and I wasn't very impressed. And he said, I went home that night and I had a dream. And in this dream, I saw a woman. And she was standing there and she had the word a law written across her chest. And he said, I understood immediately she represented the reorganized church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. He said, I looked again and I saw a woman and she had on a gray dress and she was bent over, and but she had the word custodian written on her. And he said, I knew she was the church of Christ on the temple. Lot." I again looked and I saw a tall stately woman and she had loyalty written across her chest. And I immediately knew she represented the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the Mormon church. I again looked and saw a woman, and she had many gifts written across her chest, and I knew she was the Church of Jesus Christ bickertonite. He said, when I woke, I shared the dream with my wife, and she said, oh, that's like a puzzle, all these different women getting together. And he said, no, it was the same woman with different characteristics. That's remarkable. You know, the Mormon church had, had uh, loyalty written across it, you know, the Mormon church has been very loyal to the Book of Mormon. They've translated into over a hundred languages. They're knocking on doors every day in the world, some 60, 80,000 of them trying to share that book. Um, so each of these characteristics in each of these churches are a unique aspect of the church of Jesus Christ, his bride. And he wants to make us one people. We can't do that, Ryan. We we can't debate our differences away. We can't legislatively decide we're going to be one organization. I'm not suggesting any of that. I'm saying let's enrich the soil so God can sow that message by the power of His Spirit, heal the breach, reunite us. You know, there's a sister in the Church of Jesus Christ um, I make mention of in the book. She has a gift. She's uh, not musical and she's not poetic. She's never written anything. She doesn't sing, doesn't play an instrument, but she was given 240 songs, every note, every word. They're called the songs of Zion. And she, I went to visit her and I said, could we have those songs in our church? And she said, Oh, I've not, not given the copyright to anybody, not even my own church has the copyright. And I said, but that's okay. Can we have a copy? And she said, you're not listening. And I said, I am, but we would like a copy. And she said, well, Patrick, I'll pray about it. And, uh, my brother and I were visiting there. We went through Ohio, we're gone for a couple of weeks, trying to do some missionary work. We came back and stayed with this family again, this sister. The night before we returned, she had a dream. In this dream, she sat up, she awakened. She I didn't have a dream. She sat up in bed, she awakened, put her foot on the ground and a song fell down on her. And the song was called, Lend the Weary Ones a Song and there's a line in there it says uh, repair the breach restore the pathways where our fathers walk so long oh loose the bands the heavy burdens and lend the weary ones a song my wife had been with us on the first part of that trip we stayed in their home for five days and when she left she left a card for sister buffington but she hadn't read it she hadn't seen it until the morning of this experience so she read the card and my wife thanked her for her hospitality and the wonderful time we had and then joy concluded by saying this trip has been a boon to my weary soul lend the weary ones a song and so she gave us that song and she gave us access to use those hymns and they're called the songs of zion so that's a unique gift that no other part of the restoration has you know you we've had parley p pratt he wrote 50 songs he didn't write the music and he was pretty poetic and a pretty powerful um uh, he was a dynamic individual with a lot of gifts, you know, and it preached and written several things. But this sister didn't have those gifts. This was simply a gift God bestowed upon her. She couldn't tell you when she'd have a song given. She never um, asked to have a song. She didn't uh, sit down and try to figure a song out or or knock out a melody. None of that. It only came when it was revealed to her. And so uh, that's a unique gift. And that needs to be sung by the those need to be sung by the mormon tabernacle choir i agree Uh, the whole world needs to hear these songs of zion yeah um all of these churches have such a unique aspect to them that we really need to come together and find a way to forge the kingdom of god on earth so that's that's really where my energy is ryan that's that's what i believe promote the book of mormon promote unity and pray that God will unite His people. That He'll do it, not us. That we we don't have the mechanism to say, "Well, I'm more right than you are, so join me." I right that that's just not
0: going to work. Yeah. Well, wow, it's beautiful. I I love it. So before before I let you go, um, I think you're involved in Book of Mormon conferences. Is that right?
1: What we have are called Book of Mormon symposiums. Okay, we've had ten of them. And we had one, and I was the only speaker, we held it here in Independence. And then we had a second one, we had a a couple of speakers. And then uh, my brother and I made a trip to BYU and asked if they would like to work in conjunction with us. And so uh, we got a committee, the two of us, and there were three professors, and we decided to change this from a Book of Mormon festival to a Book of Mormon symposium. And it's a two-night event where we have four speakers from BYU and four speakers from other churches of the restoration. And one night we meet in an LDS facility, and one night we meet in another one, we rent another facility. And um, we have these various speakers, and we don't promote any branch of the restoration, just the book. And now the pandemic kind of affected our continuity, and so it's been broken the last two years because of what we've gone through. We hope that we can be recalibrated and, and uh, set that back in motion again. But for now, anyway, it, it took a hiatus. Okay. But uh, we've been doing that for 10 years. It's been a pretty remarkable experience. Um, you know, people get to hear people from a different branch of restoration that they, they didn't even know existed. And they hear this wonderful dynamic message of the Book of Mormon of Jesus Christ and
0: what his purpose is for his people in the last days. Yeah, it's amazing. So, yeah. Well I hope it gets to I hope you get a do another one soon. And um I'd love to be able to come. So I don't know where it's going to be or when, but
1: they're always held in independence. We okay. usually hold them in the spring. Um but we'll just see if if you yeah. know there's this just a lot going on in our society with these um, you know, lockdowns and the, the virus and everybody's concerns and so on and so forth. So uh, it's limited some things that we have wanted to do and perhaps a, a new day will dawn and there'll be an opportunity to pursue that. If not, we'll find other ways to share the message of the Book of Mormon. Awesome. You might uh, might just tell your audience, I do have a YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Patrick McKay SR. That's my YouTube channel on there. And, uh, also have the book that's available at Amazon. Get it in hardback, paperback. Or encourage people to take a look at those and, and see if there's anything they'd like to to do to assist in the work. I encourage them to take this work up uh, in their own part of the restoration and see if this can get some energy and some growth and let the dynamism take over.
0: Yeah. Yeah, well, thank you. I appreciate everything that you do and you're an inspiration to me. Um, I truly do believe that you, in part, fulfill that prophecy from Isaiah, someone publishing peace. And it's, it's affected my life and I know that it can affect many others. And so thank you. I, uh, I'm, I appreciate you coming on. I hope you have an awesome and Merry Christmas. And thank you so much for, for telling us all about the Book of Mormon about these other branches, how we can come together, and who the wise men probably were. It's been a really fun discussion. Well, you're very welcome. Now, what part of Utah are you in? Um, right now, I live in Roosevelt, Utah, rural, rural Utah. It's kind of close to Colorado.
1: Okay, okay. Yeah,
0: but I, I grew up in Salt Lake. Well, not in Salt Lake, but 10 minutes away. Like you were saying, I tell people I'm from Salt Lake, but really 10 A suburb away. of Salt Lake, yeah. Yep, yep. Okay. Well, very good, Ryan. God bless you. You have a merry
1: Christmas, uh, a wonderful new year, and enjoy your family, and um, take time to appreciate the gift that God has given us. And we simply have a way to enlarge that gift for those that will hear our message of the Book of Mormon. Uh, We talk of Christ. We preach of Christ. We prophesy of Christ. We teach our children that they may know who they may look for remission of their sins. So this is an awesome book with an awesome message, and we want to share it as far and as wide as we are capable that people might come to understand this Messiah, how to come unto him and be
0: saved. Yeah, thank you so much. Same to you. Okay. Well, God bless. God Merry bless Christ- you. Merry Christmas. We'll see you later. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.